Thank you, Pastor Ray. I'm Pastor Kevin, and I'll be sharing the word this morning. Um, if you've been with us the last two weeks, or if you've missed the last two weeks, I'm going to tell you where we've been and where we're going. Uh, this is a series, a three-week series, on the odds of First John. This is a letter uh, that was written by the one, of the one of John, the Apostle John. And so John is writing this letter, and it's five short chapters. And Pastor Dan, in the last two weeks, has taught on chapters one and chapter three. And I have the privilege today to talk on chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, please join us in 1 John chapter 5. But before we dive into the text, uh, where I'm going with this this morning, I want to kind of build a platform as we are going to springboard from that and get an idea of where John is going in this letter. If you look out into the world, if you look out into different cultures or different nations, you would come across what we know as superstitions. There's a, a lot of superstitions in this world. In fact, you could find thousands of different superstitions. To name a few, some people believe that it's, uh, it brings on bad luck if you were to walk under a ladder. Another idea of a superstition is if you were to open up an umbrella inside a building, that's also known to bring on bad luck. Another superstition is if you were to find a, a four-leaf clover, that is known to bring on some good luck. And then also, if you uh, jinx yourself or if you say something that you don't want to speak into existence, you find the closest piece of wood, sometimes it's our head, and we knock twice because somehow we think that's going to reverse the bad luck. And then this Friday, if you are into superstitions, uh, this Friday is Friday the 13th, and a lot of people fear that day. They fear Friday falling on the 13th of the month. And for some reason, a lot of people believe, culture-wise, that this brings on a, bad, a lot of bad luck. And they fear that number 13. Hotels and apartments, they don't even call the 13th floor the 13th floor because they fear this number so much. And then, as the Olympics and many other sports are going on right now, only God knows of all of the superstitions the athletes are facing as they compete. Not just the athletes, but us as fans. I mean, how many of us wear our team jersey during a game hoping that's going to bring the team good luck? Some of us even sleep with a jersey under our pillow the night before. And, and if our team does make it into the playoffs, we get this idea, especially the men, that if we don't shave our beard for the entire time that they're in the playoffs, that's going to constantly give them the encouragement, our team, to win the playoffs and hopefully win the championship. You see, what I think derives um, superstitions is honestly a lack of confidence, a lack of trust. And uh, people are looking for something that they can hold on to. They're looking for a, something that they can put their firm trust in. And I related to this lack of confidence back when I played sports. I remember one time I was going through, um, I was playing baseball, and I had gone about four or five games without getting a base hit. If you don't, need, if you don't know baseball, that's, that's okay. Uh, basically, I was in a hitting slump. This means I did not get a base hit. I wasn't helping my team out. I probably was better off just quitting, to be honest. And I knew that at this next game, I had to change it up. I knew I had to switch it up or else my coach was probably going to kick me off the team. And so I get this idea, how about I drink some grape Gatorade? Now, if you know me, you know that my favorite drink in this entire world is Gatorade. But grape, artificial grape, it's not for me. And so I get this idea, if I just drink grape Gatorade, I can face this hitter with confidence, this pitcher with confidence. And sure enough, I get in the batter's box and I'm facing the pitcher and I get a hold of one pitch, and I drive it up the middle, and I find myself getting a, a double. And I'm like, you know what? I figured it out. All I need to do is drink grape Gatorade. My next at bat, you can be sure to tell you that I drink another drink of grape Gatorade. 
I get in that batter's box, I'm so confident. I'm like, you know what, grape Gatorade's in my system. You would have thought Jesus juice was running through my veins. And as I'm hitting against this pitcher, I get a hold of another hit, a pitch, and I drive it up the middle again, and this time I get a single. So here I am with back-to-back hits. I'm out of my hitting slump because of grape Gatorade. Every game I went to, grape Gatorade was in my bag, no matter how much I liked it or not. You see, the grape Gatorade gave me confidence to do something, to do something great. And athletes all across, they have their own thing. It's interesting to do a Google search, and you'll find out to see what a lot of different athletes do. But where I'm going with this today and how this kind of ties into this letter of 1 John is when I read 1 John, I see and I sense this overwhelming reassurance of confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is why John is writing this letter to these people because they are believers already committed to their life to the gospel of Christ. And John is writing to them to assure them of many different things. Many scholars coin this uh, letter to be um, centered all over love. This is a godly love and a brotherly love, not a romantic love, but love. Love is actually mentioned almost 45 times in this letter, and it's only five chapters long. So one thing I'm kind of confident about, and it's because I've experienced it myself, but in, your, in our life, when you experience or if you meet people who are like friends, close friends, or family, spouse, children, when you experience the love of them, your confidence just grows. Now track with me for a second because you know this could be true in the love of your family and your love of your friends. If you're going through a hard time in life, the love and support of your close relatives can give you a reason to keep fighting. If you're uh, going through school or if you're going through your career and you have uh, requirements and goals to meet, you know that the, the love and support of your family can encourage you to face those goals with confidence. Or maybe if you're making a major decision in your life and, and you don't really know what's right or wrong, but the advice and counsel of, of people who truly love you and support you, they can help affirm a decision that you're about to make. So love is something so strong that it brings on this assurance that gives us confidence. And we find a firm trust in that. And now First John, he brings forth this sense of confidence to the believer as he continually reminds them of the love that the creator of this world has for them. And we're going to look in in this letter, especially in chapter 5, on how this love from God is so true in our life. We're going to see how the love of God, the God who created you and everything in this universe, he loves you personally and individually. And I believe as as we know and experience the love of God, it will give us the confidence to be in our faith to be strong in this, in this life that we call. So this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be co- talking about the confidence for the believer. That's the title of this morning's sermon, is Confidence for the Believer, and it's confidence in our faith. In a chapter, in a letter surrounded by love, I'm telling you that you can have confidence to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can have assurance and never doubt God's plan for your life. So let's see where John takes us in this beginning of of chapter 5 and this letter in verses 1 through 5. This is what uh, John writes. He says in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. 
In fact, this is the love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the first thing that believers can have confidence is this, is that we can have confidence to overcome the world. Now John talks about this idea of overcoming the world here in verse 4, but prior to that, the chapter opens up with saying everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ is then known to be born from God, born of God, meaning that you have received Christ as your Savior, and therefore when Christ becomes your Savior, you are born again spiritually. This is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. And when you are born again, you are born of God this time, which makes you God's child. But John is urging us that if you want to prove that you love God, then you have to love others. This includes the difficult people in your life, the hard people to love. This includes your brothers and sisters in Christ. And and these verses, these first three verses, I believe are in a direct correlation to what uh, John just said in the chapter before. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, he kind of closes out that chapter saying, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And now again, this is written to believers, so their brothers and sisters. It's not talking about the blood relatives. He's talking about your brothers and sisters who are in Christ. The, the, the people who are born of God, you are called to also love them. And so these are the first three verses we see in 1 John chapter 5. But then in verse 4, it seems that John kind of switches gears here. And he encourages believers to know that everyone who is born of God will overcome the world. And this is a promise that's collect, uh, uh, linked to verse 1 where he says, Everyone who believes uh, that Jesus is a Christ from one, you are then born of God. So if you are born of God, then the confidence you can have is that you will overcome the world. And John is affirming us that we are world conquerors and by means of faith in Christ. So you as a believer in the gospel of Christ, you can have confidence that there's going to be a day where you're going to overcome this world. Now what does it mean to overcome this world? Well, we know that when we look into the world, we see a lot of things. We see a lot of things that are in uh, contradiction to what we believe as believers. And so we know that this world is truly filled with darkness. We know that this world is truly filled with corruption. We know that this world is truly filled with sin. What John is saying is that because of our faith, you who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ can and will overcome it all. And I know that this world could be tough. I know that there's hard things that we walk through in life. I know that this world can really knock us on our feet sometimes. But what gives us confidence that we can overcome the world is truly our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, when you look at the gospel, when you see Jesus, you get this idea and this, this, this confirmation that Jesus was one person who truly overcame the world. And, and I mean, he even told his disciples in John sixteen thirty three, he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So now let me ask you, and this is a question that you don't have to respond to, but I know for me that if 
Jesus is somebody who has overcome the world, don't you think that we can have confidence to follow somebody who really has overcome the world? All these other religions haven't really overcome the world, but our God has overcome the world, which should give us confidence that as we follow him, there's going to be a day where we also overcome this world. So having faith in Jesus Christ truly empowers us to have confidence that we will also be a victor. Now, believers, I'm telling you, we're going to face some trials, but you're going to overcome those trials. We'll face sickness, but you're going to overcome that sickness. We have a sinful nature, and there's going to be a day where we overcome our sinful nature. And there's also something that we're going to face. It's a a physical death. And what Jesus is saying is that you're also going to overcome that physical death. Now, with all this, it might not be right now, but when you are glorified to be with Christ in heaven, you will be overcome by this broken and messy, corrupt world by your faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul even kind of taunts death in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57, where he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, the sting of death is sin and power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the truth is, is that death has lost its victory over the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. We as believers do not have to walk around defeated because Christ has already made us victorious. Jesus has defeated every enemy and we get to share in his victory. Now by faith we claim that victory and we do so with a confidence. So you are a victor. Imagine being an Olympic athlete right now as, you know, it's concluding today. But imagine that you have received a gold medalist. That you are a a proud owner now of an Olympic gold medal. It would be nice, right? But now think about it like this. If you know Olympics, which has been around for many, many, many years, you know that it takes a lot of true grit to get through and to even compete at that level. So as an Olympic medalist, you have um, trained diligently. You have put your body through so much uh, pressure and, and stress, and you have competed now against the entire countries all around the entire world competing with athletes all around and you have defeated every single opponent that you uh, you have faced now being that olympic medalist don't you think that you would have confidence to stand proudly behind that medal that you've earned this is the same thing with our confidence and our faith because we know and we we see that we can have confidence that Jesus is who he says he is, and in a similar, similar way, believers, we know that we're going to overcome the world. And so we hold on to that confidence. So the first thing is that we can have confidence that we will overcome this world. We continue reading in the next, next seven verses here in 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 6 to 12. This is what John writes. He says, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And there are three in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony, 
This is God's testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this is his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The second thing that believers have confidence in is that we have confidence to testify that Jesus is Christ. We have confidence to testify that Jesus is Christ. Now, in the verses that we just read, there's eight different times that John, in seven verses, mentions the word testimony or testify. Now, I learned that when a word like this is repeated in the Word of God, especially in following sentences such as this, it's important. And as I looked into these verses, what we truly see is the pure testimony of Christ, Jesus being the Christ. Now, at this time, as Pastor Dan was teaching the last two Sundays, he's pointed out that there is some false teaching going on. False teaching was being spread about Jesus and his title of being deity. In fact, what was believed was the water baptism was when Christ received this Christ title, which this is, trust, this is false teaching, but at the baptism of Jesus is when he received Christ's title, but then when he was crucified and he hung on the cross, he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? The teaching was going around that this is when Christ lost his Christ title, which means that Jesus then would have died just like any other human being. So John is actually disproving of that teaching, saying this is not true, this is not the case, because the Spirit is the one who testified both at the baptism and at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. This is the pure testimony of Christ, Jesus being the Christ. Jesus did not receive the title at his baptism only to lose it at the cross. On both occasions, God the Father witnessed to and testified to the deity of his Son. Which verse 8, as we just read, emphasized that all these things... In verse 8, which said, the spirit, the water, and the blood, all these three things are in agreement. The water being Christ's baptism, the blood being his crucifixion. So you who believe in Jesus, you also agree and you can testify and have confidence to testify that Jesus truly is the Christ. Which then gives us confidence to testify about the truth of God. And this is God's testimony. And God's testimony is not like human testimony. Yes, we know that human testimony could be received, it could be accepted, just as what John said in these verses. But we also know that God's testimony is far greater than a human's testimony. You see, a human's testimony, as we all know, and we can testify to this truth, is we all fall short of the glory of God. That we have all have committed some sin at one point or another in our life. Or that we struggle and fall short. You see, even in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Solomon writes, he says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does not good and never sins. That person doesn't exist except for Jesus Christ. So because humans fall short and have sinned, the sad truth is that our, our testimony, it's lost its credibility to truly save ourselves. Our testimony cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. But now, at least in comparison to God, God's testimony is the complete opposite of ours. You see, God, as we know and as we understand through his word of God, God is holy. God is perfect. God is flawless. God is actually the standard as which everything else is measured. So we know that God is holy, and holy is to be set apart and worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. So what we need to understand is that in comparison to God, a human's testimony, a human's testimony doesn't have as much credibility 
as God's testimony. See, God's testimony can have a saving power. A human's testimony can't. And when Jesus becomes part of the human testimony, our testimony then, the human who believes, can then point people to Jesus through their testimony. And so a lot of ways is that we can actually testify about Jesus being Christ is through our actions, through our words, through our deeds and how we're loving people. All these things can expose the testimony of God in our life. But when you know the truth, you have the confidence to then share Christ, Jesus as being the Christ. And as I said earlier, you have to understand when you are sharing your testimony, it's not about you. You don't share your testimony to bring glory to yourself. There is no glory to you. I'm sorry. You see, the glory comes and only deserving to Jesus Christ. So when you share your testimony, you're really sharing God's testimony interwoven with how you have experienced and transformed by the power of Christ. And now John says is that if you disagree with God's testimony, what you're basically saying is that God is a liar. And now he's, this is like an oxymoron. Like you can't say God's a liar because that's not in God's characteristic. It's not in his attributes. God cannot be a liar. And so we know as believers and we can have confidence that when we testify about Jesus, we can have confidence to testify about him as being the Christ. And then we're going to look at this last verse in verse 13 of uh, 1 John chapter 5. Um, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, if I were you, I would uh, get a pencil, get a pen, get a highlighter, and highlight that word know. Because that word is so, so important, especially for us who are struggling with so much insecurities in our life, if we're to be honest. But this verse right here says that you can know that you have eternal life. The first thing that we have confidence in is that we have confidence to overcome the world. Second thing is we have confidence to testify that Jesus is Christ. And the third thing that believers can have confidence in is that we can have confidence in our salvation. John writes here, and he's writing these things in the name of Jesus. That's the important thing right here. He's writing this in the name of Christ. And he's saying that you can know that you have eternal life. He's saying that Jesus backs this up. You can know that you have eternal life. Now, one of the most common lies that the enemy feeds to us who believe in Jesus as being the Christ is he constantly is reminding us or trying to remind us that we're not truly saved, that we're not truly a Christ follower, that we don't really believe in Jesus as a Savior, that we're not truly forgiven of the sins that we've committed. And a lot of times we find ourselves coming back to the cross, sometimes month after month or year after year, asking Jesus to come into our heart again and again and again. John is writing this to say that you can know for sure that you have eternal life. And I, I want you to know that rededications to the Lord and being baptized again and again is not necessarily a bad thing, but I think, and I want you to know, and I think John wants us to know, is that you can have confidence in your salvation. When you look out into this world, there's not many things that you can have confidence in. You can have a pretty firm trust in things, but things will fail you, people will fail you. Uh, you can have a pretty sure confidence that if you take your vehicle to a mechanic and he checks your entire car out, you fill up your gas tank. You can have confidence that you'll make it to Orlando and back, but you can't know for sure if you're going to have a blowout or something. You see, the Word of God gives us this assurance that there is nothing without a shadow of a doubt that we can have confidence in our salvation. 
Now, many of you uh, know that I'm a pretty big fan of the Seattle Seahawks, the NFL football team. And back in 2014, I'll be honest with you, I entered the Super Bowl with my team not knowing if they were going to win. It was this, this time where the, the number one defense, which was Seattle, was facing the number one offense, which is the Denver Broncos. And at the time, they had Peyton Manning, who everybody knew was trying to retire with a Super Bowl ring. And so we didn't know what was going to happen. I wasn't sure about my team at this point. Yeah, I knew we had the greatest defense in the, in the league, but I wasn't sure what's going to happen. And I can tell you, church, that after the very first play of the game, I knew for sure, that early on in the game, I knew for sure that my Seahawks were going to beat the Broncos. You see, what happened was Peyton Manning being the quarterback, he hiked for the ball. The ball flew way over his head, and it went into the end zone. And then their running back got the ball in the end zone, and our player tackled him in the end zone. That gave us a safety. Now, just to, if you don't know sports, if you don't know anything, just to bore you the details, spare you the boring details, it put numbers on the board for us. And I knew right then and there, on the very first play of the game, something like this big happening in the championship, I knew for sure my team was going to win. You see, when I look at, it, at sports, athletes need a lot of confidence. And I'm pretty sure the Denver Broncos' confidence was, was high. But after this, after this play of the game, their confidence shot down. And now vice versa, the Seattle Seahawks, their confidence coming to this game, I'm pretty sure was high. And after this first play of the game, I'm pretty sure the confidence shot out the ceiling. You see, the, the Seattle Seahawks took advantage of that, and they beat the Denver Broncos 43-8. to eight. Now, we're not going to talk about what happened the next season, but <laughs> I knew for sure that my team was going to win the Super Bowl that year, and they did. You see, as believers, John is saying that you can know for sure that you have eternal life. We do not need to doubt our salvation, especially when we're truly committed to Jesus as our Christ. This means that you have agreed that Jesus is the Son of God, that you have agreed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that you have agreed that Jesus has resurrected from the grave. And because of that, you will be a conqueror overcoming this world. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you can have full confidence and guaranteed that salvation is yours and nothing, nothing can take you out of the hands of God. We're reminded of this, of this in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans 8, chapter one, or chapter 8, verse 1. Paul encourages the Romans to, to trust the truth about this. In Romans 8, 1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, why I wanted to point this verse out is uh, because one of the, the common lies that we believe from the enemy is because of our sin, we feel like we're not saved or truly saved. Because of our sin, we feel like we need to recommit our life to Jesus. Yes, we for sure need to ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, but to recommit and ask him to move into our heart again and again, this is not what we're talking about. And this verse right here, Romans 8, 1, points this, this fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, which means that you're not going to be punished for the, the sin that you fall short of. You're not going to be punished because Jesus already took that punishment upon himself. So we as believers believe and understand that this is the word of God. And this is the unique thing is that when you read stuff like this in the Bible, and if you truly trust that Jesus and God is the sole truth over everything in this world, you will agree that if it's in God's word, it must be true. 
I mean, we as Christians believe that the Word of God is infallible. We believe that it, is, it has no errors whatsoever. And so if, it, if, if the Word of God tells you that you can know for sure that you have eternal life, don't you think that should give you confidence to trust your salvation? I mean, if it's in the Word of God, which is the complete truth, we need to trust it. The only time that we can con- or, or, or not trust the Word of God is if God's word was to be found of having errors. If there was something that had an error in this Bible, then we have all the reason more to believe that this is not the truth. But this is not the case because we know that God's word is infallible. God is perfect. So as we close this morning's sermon, the truth that we can hold on to through chapter 5 is that we can have confidence. Confidence to believe. Confidence for the believer Confidence that there will be a day that we will overcome this world by the grace of Jesus Christ. Confidence that we can testify about the truth about Jesus being our risen, resurrected Savior. Confidence that we will have eternal life with Jesus Christ one day. When you lack confidence in an area, as we've kind of exposed and talked about all morning long, when you lack confidence, it it kind of hinders you from living out your life. It kind of holds you back. But when you establish a firm trust, your confidence is strengthened and you have that assurance. My son is getting to the age where he, uh, he's almost four, but he's getting to the age where everything is becoming scary to him. Everything is becoming scary. Um, even to the point where if he has to go to the bathroom, he needs to grab me or Hannah to come into the bathroom with him. It's a little weird. I mean, he tells us to stand up against the wall and then he'll go do his business on the toilet. Um, but it's the fact that he's calling us into the bathroom because he doesn't want to be there alone. Even if we're in the living room and he has a toy in his bedroom that he wants to go get, he'll actually pull us into his bedroom just to get the toy to bring it back to exactly where we are at before. And my son, um, he, uh, even at bedtime, every single night, I promise you, we're loving parents and we give him all the comfort he needs. He has his favorite blankie. He has all the stuffed animals that gives him uh, comfort. He has uh, prayers. We pray for him before he goes to bed. We even uh, give him a Jesus Bible book so he can look at the pictures with a nightlight behind him. I'm telling you, this kid has everything he needs for comfort when it goes to overcoming any fears that he might have. But then every single night, you could bet your bottom dollar that my son finds his way in my bed between me and my wife. Every single night without a shadow of a doubt. And he knows better. He knows not to go on Hannah's side because if he goes on Hannah's side, she's going to send him back to bed. If he goes on my side, he becomes like my, my, my second pillow. He's like a little cuddle bug. You see, the truth of what this is is my son has a confidence that when he gets close to his father, that he is safe and he is secure and he has nothing to worry about. This is the same for us who believe in Jesus Christ. When we lack confidence, we know that we can get close to the Father. Even if we have all the comfort we have in this world, our small groups, our our prayer groups, our, our, our fellowship, our church services, we can have all the comfort for our faith to have confidence in this world. But the greatest confidence comes when we are close to the Father because there we know that we are safe, we know that we are secure, and we know that we have nothing to worry about. So believer, have confidence in our resurrected Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, for this, this morning. I thank you for this service. I thank you for this, this word that came from 1 John chapter 5. Lord, I pray that you'll encourage us believers that as we leave here today, that we can have confidence in the things that we discussed this morning. Confidence that you are God. Confidence that you will allow us to overcome this world. Confidence in our salvation. So, Father, as we grow in our relationship with you, I pray that you'll continually call us to your cross. Allow our paths to be uh, lit by you, Jesus, that we can walk in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And, Father, if there is somebody here who doesn't have that confidence that they are written in your book of life, that they will have eternal life. Father, if there is somebody here this morning who doesn't know you as Savior, Jesus, I pray that you would work in their heart even now, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, that they will call out to you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you'll give them confidence to talk to one of us pastors about these spiritual matters. Jesus, we love you. We ask that you'll equip us this week to live for you. It's your holy and precious name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.